Just before we jump into today's episode, I want to let you know about a special offer that we have going on on Patreon. So if you sign up to our Patreon by the 28th of August, and don't worry if you already signed up, this counts you too, you will get a personalized recommendation of a queer movie or TV show that we think that you would love based on your preferences. Very exciting. And of course, you will also get all of the other perks that normally come along with Patreon membership, access to our Discord, where we do monthly watch-alongs um, of queer movies, as well as as top 10 lists, a queer newsletter that Jazza puts out, a bunch of cool stuff. So you can visit patreon.com forward slash the queer movie podcast to find out more. Welcome to the queer movie podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I am Jazza John. Each episode, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode's genre is queer coming out. Oh, lovely! Have we have we used up all of the possible teen uh, categories that we could have done? Yes, and we've we're done, struggling. Like, queer yeah, teen, oh, yeah, queer high school, queer coming of age, queer buildings romance. So we really yeah. were struggling. But you know what? This movie's not coming out, so it still counts. Um, so this week we are going to be reviewing the first gay film ever made, <laughs> Love Simon. The film from 2018, based on the book Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli. That was um, a little joke courtesy of Jazza because he <laughs> he likes to write these little intro bits and then I have to say them. And he knows I have a, we'll get into it later, but I have a little bee in my bonnet about the way that this film was marketed. But spoilers for later on in this episode. We have plenty of time to talk about it, but Rowan does have a 45 minute video titled The Problem with Love, Simon, so this should be really good. <laughs> yeah, I kind of spoilt it myself by anything I've ever said about this film on the internet, which is why 100%. I was like, I, this, is, this episode has been a long time coming. I feel like this has been something that's been requested quite a lot. So we thought, why not give the people what they want? A hundred percent. We're going to be uh, doing our best to avoid retreading that video. Um, I can't wait to see what Rowan really thinks about this movie. But before we get into that, Rowan, what is the gayest thing you've done since the last episode? Um, so I am, well, I probably shouldn't say this because I've, then I've come <laughs> to it. But I'm a lesbian. No, I, um, <laughs> I am writing a little thing that has some characters in it. And I just decided that they're all going to be gay or oh, queer excellent. in some way. I say gay, but I mean just queer in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The umbrella. And I think that it's very, it's very um, gay to just decide that the entire ensemble is going to be homos. Um, mm -hmm. Big fan of that. Can recommend it to, to anyone. Also just saying, you know what? I'm going to go on holiday and become a novelist. I'm just going to go away and just write a novel. Yeah. To be clear, I didn't write the novel. I just no. decided what the plot was going to be. And I feel like me putting five fictional little queers into the world is pretty gay. How about you, Jazza? Um, so I've had a pretty gay month, to be honest. Until yesterday, it was going to be going to see Heim, mm. which just has really strong kind of like queer energy as like a fan base in general, you mm. know what I mean? I went to see it with our friend Dodie, who has a huge overlap of her fans who also like Heim. What a bloody surprise. Uh, so that was pretty high up there. But then yesterday, I managed to book my monkeypox vaccine. That I was going to say. That would, mm. I was like, if you had, that would be the gayest thing. Love that for you. It is so hard. <laughs> I've to heard. get a bloody monkeypox vaccine um, at the moment, especially in London, where we've got a bit of a, where most of the cases are in the UK. To be clear, I'm not having the monkeypox vaccine because this is a gay disease, but because that's where it has spread most in the population. And I'd quite like me and the people I love to be safe. Essentially, being public health conscious, the gayest thing that Jazz has done this month. 100%. <laughs> Amazing. Hello friends, pray, allow us to briefly recap how it goes down here on the Queer Movie Podcast. First, we will give you some analysis of the key differences between the YA novel and the Hollywood blockbuster, and then some other stuff around uh, uh, debates of, around representation in literature mm. and film, which I'm sure will be fine. Bit of a wider context of the film as we like to do when we begin. After mm -hmm. that, as always, we'll be splitting the film into three acts. Take a shot, the new drinking game when you hear party in its aftermath. The name of 
at least one act in every film that we seem to watch. We will crowbar it in somehow. We always do. And Mm -hmm. finally, ending as always with our very special gay ratings. We will be spoiling all of this movie. I will be honest, Rowan probably doesn't think that you should bother, but I did cry several times the first time I saw this movie and several times on re-watching the movie earlier today. Uh, So I would recommend watching it if only to keep your tear ducts active. So without further ado, let's publicly shame our potential boyfriend into outing himself on a Ferris wheel and review Love, Simon. Okay, so let's start by talking a little bit about the difference between the novel, the book that this film is based on and the film itself. So I actually read the book before I saw the movie and I liked the book. I really, really did. It's published by Penguin in the UK, who's the company I used to work for. So it was kind of like a a, a big a big thing, a big book that everyone read and everyone's very excited about. Um, even before the movie came out, it was very, very well received. And I really, really liked it. And then just slightly subtly hinted so far in the podcast, wasn't that big a fan of this movie. And mm-hmm. I think the key reason is these differences between the the book and the movie some of the changes Mm -hmm. that they made i wasn't too keen on there's some very you know uh, irrelevant changes like the title and like simon Uh, the number of sisters that simon has. yeah the number of sisters simon has like all of that kind of stuff but for me the big stuff that is different is things like leah's crush for example in the book she has a crush on Nick, whereas in the movie they change it so that she actually has this crush on Simon and has actually been in love with Simon this whole time. Mm-hmm. Leah having a crush on one of one of their mutual friends rather than on Simon himself. Exactly. Yeah. And then the way that like Simon's coming out happens and the movie really emphasized how his friends just decide to hate him mm-hmm. for for that uh, and for his being blackmailed. And the ultimate one, which, you know, the Ferris, the Ferris wheel the controversy, Ferris wheel. <laughs> where essentially in the book, Simon does not tie together him and Blue finding out who each other are, getting to know each other, potentially wanting to date in real life. He doesn't tie it in with like an ultimatum for Blue to come out very publicly while people watch on to find out who he is, like everything, like putting that kind of pressure on him, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially the big finale of Love, Simon, which we will talk more about when we get to it, because I think it's very tied to a lot of classic romance movie tropes um, and mm-hmm. teen movie tropes, which work for heterosexual characters for various reasons, but which get a bit sticky when we are putting them into a movie, which is not just about queer teens, but explicitly a homophobic environment that they've they've kind of set up within this world. So there are there are like a bunch of smaller differences. But for me, the big, big difference is this ending and the way that these two things kind of play out in the movie as well. For example, like Blue basically tells Simon, like, I don't want anything to do with you. Don't email me anymore. (laughs) Whereas in the book, it's like a classic bit of miscommunication where Blue did want Simon to message him and actually gave him his phone number, but Simon doesn't find it until later and Mm -hmm. thinks that Blue doesn't want anything to do with him. So it's kind of like some differences that I think were changed for the worse within the movie. I would be remiss, however, if I let... I just wanted to get that context out there first, but I want to just circle back really quickly to something that Jazza said. Oh no. Where Jazza was like, oh, I did cry the first time I saw this movie. Mm-hmm. I was with Jazza the first time that he <laughs> saw this movie. We saw it at the BFI, right? We were in yeah, the big NFT, yeah. the big um, NFT, NFT one. It's, it's the it's the the name of the screen. God, oh, okay, that's a, unfortunate. Film bitch. <laughs> like, yeah, don't, don't you remember we went to NFT one to see yeah. the to the screen? But Jazza was crying so hard mm. during specifically the scene where Simon comes out to his mum. Mm-hmm. Those who have seen the movie will know after that scene, there's some lighthearted scenes. There's the things pick back up, like it moves on. That's not the end of the movie. Um, Jazza was crying so hard and could not stop crying to the point where he had to take his jacket that he had taken off because it was too hot in the cinema and hide his head under it because he was so loud (laughs) (laughs) that no one could hear what was going on in this movie because Jazza was still crying. And, <laughs> and I felt like the most heartless bitch in the world sitting oh, be- yeah. sitting beside you and like sort of like 
imaginary there, there. Your back. there there jazza my friend as you were probably having a crisis in the seat beside me in the cinema it was amazing don't let don't let jazza fool you when he does a really casual like you know i cried a few times had a little cry today about it oh no no it was I a had week a breakdown. it yeah. was a full <laughs> week yeah pulled out like my 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 heart and soul um the same thing happened re-watching it so this is now re-watching it for the, this podcast is the third time that I've watched it mm. and I had the same reaction to the same scenes like not quite as like dramatic so predictable yeah uh, and I and I think that is gonna affect the way that I talk about this movie because mm. I have a bit more of a retrospective we will we'll see as we as we come into talking about the the, the plot more in depth but for me we joked about this being the first of a gay movie and I'm like go and look at our back catalogue of episodes. There were several other queer movies about teens with queer protagonists and with queer actors in it and uh, queer filmmakers uh, making them uh, that came far before 2018 when this movie actually came out. But this was the first time I saw something that really resonated with me. And how old I was like in my late 20s at the time. And that was such a kind of like... That, is, that does make it a really, really important movie for me, albeit one with many criticisms <laughs> that I'm... That, uh, not least that fucking Ferris wheel. <laughs> so another bit of context we wanted to talk about before we dive into like going through the exact plot of the movie is something, Jazzy, you've been looking into, which is the the controversy, the conversation, the invasiveness, I don't know what to call it, around the sexuality of the author of the novel, right? Yeah, so Rebecca Albertalli is the writer of not only Love, Simon, but also what um, she refers to as the Simon-verse. The Simon. Also, I love how you've called her Rebecca Albertalli when her, I'm pretty sure her, she just goes by Becky Albertalli, but it makes it sound like you're like... <laughs> Okay, what well, I've never met her. I feel like I have Rebecca. to use her full name. We don't be. Don't want to. I don't want to presume I can use her nickname, which is <laughs> no. In fact, I would never her author name Rowan. That's too presumptuous. Mm-hmm. I'll just call Albertalli. Um, oh, uh, uh, like I'm referencing her in a in an academic article. <laughs> so it has has written a, a number of novels, or YA novels with queer protagonists, queer themes, but was perceived by many people for a long time to be uh, cishet. Um, cisgender heterosexual uh, because she is in a heterosexual marriage and had never really spoken explicitly about her sexuality and had actually kind of like whenever people had invasively asked her about her like why is why is a cishet woman uh writing about like a gay boy like in simon versus the homo sapiens agenda this kind of like coincided with a movement called Own Voices in, from what I can, and Rowan, you may understand more context about this because you were in this world when this was happening, but was a term coined by um, a YA author, Corinne Doivis, which was a way of kind of categorizing online stories that were told by the people who were from the communities and the identities that were portrayed in the literature that they were creating, which sounds like a great idea, right? The problem is this then ended up gatekeeping happened and gatekeeping of queerness, not only by the companies who were then going around trying to tick the box of something that would fit under an own voices title, but also by people online who then would go around questioning whether or not people had the right to be able to talk about um, particular communities based on their backgrounds. This got so heated that my close friend, Rebecca Albertalli, ended up posting a quite, a really moving, very emotional medium post coming out as by, and made it very, very clear. Like, I'll quote her for a sec. Let me be perfectly clear. This is not how I wanted to come out. This does not feel good or empowering or even particularly safe. Honestly, I'm doing this because I've been scrutinized, subtweeted, mocked, lectured, and invalidated just about every single day for years, and I'm exhausted. And obviously this is a terrible experience for her to have had to have gone through. But I think this started in like the YA space, but I think, and I'll be honest, I don't know where I stand on kind of like all of this stuff yet. Maybe it's nuanced. What? Nuanced, Jazza? Surely not on (laughs) on this internet. But some of this stuff really reminds me of the recent, of some of the recent things that have happened around the cast of Heartstopper, Mm. who are a very young cast. I'm thinking specifically of Kit Connor, who in an interview was like quite 
bullish about not defining his sexuality and how there was so much speculation online about his sexuality and the way that the rest of the cast defined themselves. And kind of like this commercialization of static identity that you end up seeing in commercial spaces because it allows you, and I think some of this is, it allows you to tag something as something and therefore profit from it, especially Mm. in certain spaces that are seen as more uh, like socially liberal, like for example, like YA novels that are perhaps more socially liberal than other parts of the media, perhaps definitely more. Yeah, I think that there was definitely a, so Own Voices, I think, as with many things, started with the best of intentions and it's like intended usage. It sounds like on its surface, a really good idea. The issue was it was not meant to be a, if you don't fit into own voices, you shouldn't be writing. It -hmm. was more for the fact that there had been like a spate of novels about like black protagonists written by white authors and that Mm -hmm. the opportunities were not being given to black authors to tell their own stories. And so the idea was less like, hey, you can only write an own voices novel, which obviously it gets very tricky because it's like, well, if I want to write an ensemble, do they all have to be exactly the same as me? Or do Mm -hmm. I have to basically just populate a novel or a script or a YA book or whatever it is with people who are like cis white, like heterosexual men because I can kind of write them because they're the every man and then I get to do my own voices on particular like it just it falls apart very quickly when you actually think about it Mm -hmm. but all of this kind of good intentions ended up with exactly what you said people who took it to the extreme to mean like hey if you aren't own voices why are you even talking about this Mm -hmm. and I think there's definitely an argument to be said about the idea of like you know the lgb and t and all the other letters experiences are not necessarily going to be the same. So the fact that Becky Abatali is a bisexual woman doesn't necessarily make Love, Simon own voices because mm-hmm. it's about a, a gay boy. Yeah. But I think that the assumption that was made about her, that was made very strongly by a lot of people. And then was weaponized against her because of exactly the success of the, the book of like, and then subsequently the film. Right? Completely. And she wrote uh, Layer on the Offbeat is about Leia who's in these books who is bisexual and so that very much was an own voices book but it was not something that she was marketing in that way it wasn't a thing that she had decided wanted to be part of it and I definitely agree with the stuff around the actors in Heartstop I saw so many interviews both like in person and on the internet with at the very least interviewers fishing for a coming out story Mm -hmm. by saying things like "Mm, okay and exactly how did you resonate with that character like what about Mm -hmm. their experiences spoke to things that you have gone through and it was so uncomfortable because this shouldn't be something that you're you're kind of pressuring anyone to do but especially not these like especially not teenagers (laughs) literally these little babies but yeah so I think I think it's one of those things that's really frustrating because you want to find that balance between not having inauthentic representation but also Mm -hmm. not narrowing down to that extreme I think basically what the focus should be from my point of view at the moment, although obviously, you know, we love to hear other opinions. So do let us know if you've got thoughts on this. I think it's a really interesting topic. I think the emphasis should be on if you are going to write a story that is diverse in whatever way that is, and that might be outside of your direct experiences, how do you get that right? Mm -hmm. What are the things that we should have in place within the writing culture, within the industry that ensures that nothing is being published, which is going to be damaging towards a a community? And whether that looks like sensitivity readers being paid properly, being respected properly, whether that is about encouraging collaborative writing projects, whether that is about like anything that, that might be useful. I think that that's what would be a more useful focus rather than kind of narrowing it down so much necessarily when i was doing research for this there was the an article an opinion piece on quill and choir Mm. by um sarah rawley who's an author i think she was really good at articulating that this is essentially something like own voices was a really convenient way for a publisher to tick the box and say we are doing the right thing by this Mm. but actually like you said the way that you make sure that representation is good is by making sure that your authors put in the work Mm. but there is nothing really there's not like a, a a binary way of being able to make sure that happens other than making sure that somebody does the work and that they are considered and that they aren't kind of like offensive in the portrayal of whatever community that they are representing that they aren't necessarily from and it makes it more difficult but this stuff is 
difficult and something like a convenient hashtag albeit with i think like when you read it on the surface it makes total sense right but then how it's ended up manifesting and ended up closing doors to people who end, do end up actually being queer and clearly really hurting people like um, Albert Ali. I think the commercialization of it there and the hashtagification of it online mm. as well are really what caused the damage. Anyway, this movie is great, isn't it? Um, shall we? <laughs> So Love, Simon, we're splitting into three acts. The first act I have affectionately called, he does theatre and drinks iced coffee. All the signs were there. (laughs) That makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, truly, how did no one see it before? I know, exactly. I'm going to call act one XOXO Gossip Girl. Um, (laughs) Just because we love, we love, we love letters, you know, love letters, diary entries, emails, the the gays do love a little bit of a paper trail. I'm sure it will not come back to bite them. Sarah Jessica Parker did wonders for representation of overly bookish people writing too openly into their computers. And the queers loved Sex in the City. Simon himself, speaking over the top of the uh, movie, what's that called? A voiceover? Mm-hmm. Starts with, I'm just like you. And I want to make it very clear, Simon. No, you are not. Simon comes from like what looks like an upper middle class, really lovely, welcoming, friendly family has really close friends and lovely people around him, a sister that he actually likes. Can afford Starbucks every morning. Every morning. That is not an efficient use of your of your pocket change, my dear children. Also, all the way through this movie, I, I just get real anxiety watching teenagers drive. I just don't think it should be allowed, actually. Uh, especially in the US where the driving age is younger. It really, I find it very jarring. But we're introduced to Simon, his mother and father, his mother played by Jennifer Garner. But we are very quickly told that Simon has um, a secret. A big old secret. And that secret is he really likes the boots of the guy who's doing yard work opposite his house. Mm -hmm. He just wants to get into fashion, dad. It's not, it's not my dream. It's your dream, Dad. I want to go to fashion school. Um, also, he's a homosexual. <laughs> sure. That's also like that's like oh, just that's gonna have a little bit to do with the plot. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, hasn't told anyone. Mm-hmm. There are three main friends who are part of this movie: his friend Nick and Leah, who we've st- spoken about earlier, and then the newcomer, the cool girl on the block, Abby. All of whom are like very close. They go to um, school together and all of that kind of stuff. This school they go go to really needs to shut down a website that students have um, started curating, (laughs) which is basically a gossip website for the school where people can post anonymously. Remember posting anonymously Mm, on the internet? Very curious cat, very anonymous Tumblr, very (laughs) how strange. Yeah, it's basically just like, who's in charge of the pastoral care here? But I feel, this is also, I kind of feel like this is the thing that happens at schools now where they're like, doesn't happen on our property. I know what to tell you. That's the internet. That's in a different world. I really wish it were better than that, but it's clearly not. But yeah, the teachers are kind of like, the teachers are where all the comedy is, I feel. And they got added. So they, I didn't kind of mention this before, but there was the, the main guy teacher in it. It's not part of the book. And they've kind of definitely messed around a bit with the added in the comedy for the teachers in the movie. Yeah, and, well, Miss Albright, who's the theatre teacher, is there. And I can't remember the name of the actor who plays the vice principal, but he's in, like, Veep and stuff like that. It's very funny, usually. At one point, he stops Simon and goes, you've got to tell me what brand those sneakers are, and they have a massive tick on the side of them. It's clearly (laughs) Nike. (laughs) Like, for goodness sake. Um, I don't know if that was the joke or not, but I was just like, come on, granddad, deal with it. You, it's just you trying to claw back your youth. <laughs> I, like, I, I'm I, so I know, young. These <laughs> <laughs> nick knock, nick knock, my knees. So on this, on this website that is clearly very incredibly problematic at this school, a kid anonymously comes out as gay and says, I feel like I'm on a Ferris wheel I can't remember what the metaphor is, but it's like, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. Wow, you, that's um, poetic devices mm-hmm. right there. But to be honest, very good um, teen representation because teenagers do, that That definitely seems like something a teenager would write, which we 100%. love to see realistic teen dialogue, just like, <laughs> they're not protagonists in a John Green novel, I think is what I'm trying to say. 
Sure, 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 sure. They don't have that in their dialogue. So the person who has come out on this website is called Blue. Not their real name. Not their real name. Do you know why they're called Blue? Uh, I'm sure you're about to tell me. So no, Jazza, why are they called Blue? I only figured that... Thank you so much for pretending to be interested. I only clocked it today when I was rewatching um and it's uh, by a throwaway joke that somebody says and it's a racist joke where you, what do you call somebody who's black and Jewish bluish and because Bram is a black Jewish guy he's blue black Jew. wow if only Simon had, been had put more two and two attention. together if he put mm-hmm. two and two together so Simon sees this post from blue decides to email the the person, because that's a normal thing to put your email address alongside an anonymous posting that you have, um, and calls himself Jack. And the two of them start. That's basically also very flirting. gay. <laughs> Can I just Giving say? Giving yourself a French season. The fact that it's not even just Jack, like it's mm-hmm. Jacques, it's like specifically written and pronounced a French way. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. He'll never know. <laughs> Jacques D, by the way, is how you say Simon says. So very smart. That. Simon. 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 I have a feeling that might have been the justification in the novel I can't actually remember. But yeah, in the, so interestingly that you said that. So in the book, I, I seem to remember that instead of him having his email in the post, he does it anonymously. And then Simon messages and is like, hey, I really resonated with what you said. Here is an email you can email if you want to and waits for Blue to reach out to him with like mm-hmm. this fake email that he set up. So the two start creating and weaving intimate parasocial relationships with one another and if i i mean this resonated hugely with my time on anonymous messaging boards Mm -hmm. where i'm like i think i'm falling in love with these lines of text um at one point uh blue messages simon and says is it weird that i'm imagining kissing you yes you don't know anything about like this could be a massive catfish what a wild ending that would have been to this movie very different tone I'd have kind of, I'd have kind of loved it. It would have had a very different Chaos. message. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would have appreciated the risk that would have been taken there. Well, already, th- 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 to be honest, this is already a risk because they get discovered mm, by, yes. by another student, by their student, Martin. Mm-hmm. Who... who is the worst? He does magic. Coded oh, very negatively. Mm-hmm. Never, never trust anyone who does magic that's my life motto mm-hmm. sorry Stephen. as i always say oh, if there's that if anyone's listened to the, epi- the the podcast before every episode i always say don't trust anyone <laughs> never trust a magician they always cut it but i do say it during the recording <laughs> so yeah martin is also very very into abby the newcomer the new friend yes the new friend and so we get to our inciting incident, sort of end of act one. Oh my goodness, the big the big reveal has happened. Simon's life will never be the same, which is basically that Martin is like, hey, what if I just um, outed you? Wouldn't that be fun? And Simon's like, no. And Martin's like, well, in that case, maybe you could help me win the heart of Abby and mm-hmm. uh, we can both benefit. And so Simon, you know, being blackmailed and all, kind of has to agree, even as he's trying to figure out, you know, who is blue, what's going on with this guy I actually like, maybe I want to know him in real life. Also, I'm getting blackmailed. It feels like there's a lot going on, babe. Like, pick a struggle. Let's just, one one thing at a time. You're also going to school, you're trying to keep your grades up. Someone took out for this boy. You know what I mean? He's going through a lot. I still find it so bone chilling whenever i whenever i'm i like watch this again like martin thinks that that's a good idea and you kind of end up like later on in the movie when everything sh- uh, when everything hits the fan and martin uh, ends up apologizing to simon and saying oh i didn't realize that people still would still said homophobic stuff would still kind of like care about the fact that you were gay martin is clearly incredibly naive here but still clearly does not understand the threat that he has made and the existential dread that is now hanging over simon as a character it's uh pretty damn terrible if you're listening kids don't do that yeah and the the worst thing about it is he has a gay brother like yeah this is what's so even more unhinged is like he does know but i guess it's like like that's so interesting to me and i feel like there's not a lot of time that's dwelled on it in the movie like what the hell's going on with martin where it's like 
yeah, this is essentially just someone who is so oblivious to their own privilege and to their own life that like even their mm -hmm. like their brother can clearly be going through some stuff and they're just like so oblivious that they would blackmail someone about the secret that their brother had. Yeah, Martin, zero out of 10, would not recommend. Yeah, absolutely wild. And also I don't like that he kind of gets a redemption at the end of the movie yeah. as well. Not by a paying fan. for the last ticket on the Ferris wheel. Not a fan the fucking at all. Ferris wheel. The Ferris wheel. Um, I will say before we move on to act two, which I know you're dying to because everyone has to take a shot when we say what the name is. <laughs> this also, in the first act, we are also introduced to the fact that there is a gay character at this school. Oh, yes. Ethan. And here is my... No, get on that soapbox. Here is Let's my go. here is my mm -hmm. like other big fault with this movie, and it is that it never really makes Simon accountable for all of this nonsense that happens around Ethan. So like he, Ethan gets like relentlessly bullied, and so it is understandable that someone who is deeply in the closet like Simon would be quite scared of that like maybe that's something that he's seen and he's scared of it happening to him like there's all of this stuff going on emotions going on but he is like actively acting annoyed about ethan acting like ethan brings it on himself not doing anything to defend ethan like all of this kind of stuff it goes beyond just ignoring it and it goes into someone who's like actively complaining about this person living their Complicit life openly. yeah and there's also just some moments that happen where like Simon has this whole dream sequence where he pretends that he's like going, he's excited to go to college because he will be able to be himself there, he thinks. Mm -hmm. And it turns into like a, a sort of fantasy dance number. And then he sort of like record scratches, pauses and is like, I'm not that gay. And mm -hmm. I'm like, mm, we could read this with a generous reading and be like, okay, fun, that's a joke, haha. But I think the fact that his character like actively seems to be quite dismissive isn't even the word but sort of like unsupportive of someone like ethan mm -hmm. he kind of really reads as the kind of guy who'd be like mm, it's i'm not one of those gay people yeah 100 percent. so i see your problematic statement mm -hmm. i i see it i hear it i appreciate it thank you but moving on but i think like, that homophobia is fine um um but i was simon like I, I wasn't always the fabulous queer nail painted mm -hmm. individual that you see is sometimes doing drag individual that you see before you today. I don't see. I would say I don't mind that being because uh, I think it's very realistic and it's fine. I yeah, think yeah, yeah, that the yeah. issue came when like then we got through the entire rest of the movie and it never got addressed. I, I think it kind of does. I uh, like the movie didn't decide that this was going to be the arc for Simon. I think it would have been an interesting arc for Simon to take. I think it tries to address that when they're called into the principal's office. Yes. And then they have that conversation amongst one another and the, and the other gay guy says, you could have just told me, and then reads him a little bit. And that is actually kind of like a really sweet moment. I think that's when it kind of tries to, to humanise. And it just doesn't go... Far enough. Let's go on to act two because yeah, that comes later and we'll like, mm -hmm. we'll dig into that when we get to it. If you're currently listening to this podcast and thinking, wow, I love it. I've subscribed, I've downloaded some episodes, but at some point I'm going to binge all of these episodes and I'll be wanting more. Is there a podcast, Rowan, Jazza, that you can recommend that if we like your one, we might enjoy as well? Well, of course there is. We're here for you. We are part of the Multitube Collective, which is an incredible collective of podcasts that are about a bunch of different stuff, essentially just people who are massive fans and super nerds and really excited about particular topics, talking about them with humor, with history. So the one that we wanted to recommend specifically to you today is spirits so this is a podcast which is actually co-hosted by our amazing editor julia and it is the first podcast that i listened to from the multitude collective it is all about folklore mythology the occult through the lens of like queerness feminism it's amazing it is a perfect mix of like actual facts and stories and history as well as comedy a little bit of fun so every week the wonderful Julia, a big mythology buff and her childhood best friend Amanda get together to learn about a different story from mythology over drinks. You see, spirits, you see, you see, you see what they did there? We love a good pun in the name of a podcast. So they talk about everything from like 
pop culture mythology, you know, the origins of various pop culture franchises like Lords of the Rings or Wonder Woman, as well as urban legends. I really enjoy their episodes where they take like listener urban legends from their cultures, from their small towns, all of the weird stories and folklore that that people had growing up. Uh, and they tell those stories. I love those episodes. They are so cool, sometimes very creepy. And they have nearly 300 episodes released over the last six years. So if you're looking for something to binge, it's the perfect one for you. So if you like hearing, you know, creepy stories that will give you the shivers or like diving into an analysis of mental health within folklore, then there's going to be something that you will want to listen to within Spirits. So you can dive in at spiritspodcast.com or by just searching Spirits wherever you download your podcasts. Also, just a hunch, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably someone who spends quite a lot of time on the internet. And if you're someone who's currently listening to this podcast at like two times speed, right? If you're listening to it sped up, maybe you are also riddled with ADHD like myself. If you are, I also imagine, I'm just, you know, I'm linking to you psychically here across the radio waves. You have a thousand tabs open on your computer right now and at least a hundred on your phone. Every, every time you have a new thought, you open a tab, you need to Google something, you need to research something, you need to remember to do a task later. Wouldn't it be great if you could keep doing that? You don't have to change for anyone. I would never make you change. But when you did open a new tab, you raised money for charity. It's, it's, I know, sounds wild, but it's true. We have an amazing sponsor this episode. We've had them uh, sponsor the show for a while now. They're still incredible. It is tab for a cause essentially it's a browser extension that lets you do exactly that you raise money for charity while just going about your thing online because when you open your new tab you see two things beautiful photo and a very small ad and part of that ad money goes towards a charity of your choice it could quite literally not be simpler so you can join team queer movie by signing up at tabforacause.org forward slash queer movie Basically, yeah, he's getting blackmailed and we get zip into act two, the party in its aftermath for obvious reasons. And of course, because this is an American show about a year at school. And so the party is obviously the Halloween party of course. because every school has that. So one of the I mean, this is a spoilerful podcast. Blue throws a Halloween party and Simon is starting to kind of like, oh, my God, I kind of like you. I will say. All the way through this movie, Simon and Simon and Bram Blue have no chemistry, yeah, whatsoever. Which I'm really annoyed about because they're both objectively hot. Mm-hmm. Keenan Lonsdale, I love a lot. Have followed their music career and everything. I th- I have merch, but it just doesn't. I don't know. There's no. There is really no chemistry there, and I find that really kind of like lackluster. It's quite annoying. Casting directors, here's an advice from us: do a chemistry read between your mm-hmm. leads. I will also point out that when when Justin says blue through the Halloween party, that wasn't like the the anonymous person blue did. The person no, who blue sure. turns out to be Bram did it. Uh, Simon wasn't like, well, this is easy. Blue's throwing a Halloween party. Let's figure out whose house this is. But basically, uh, Simon is trying to figure out who Blue is. And Bram actually, again, in the novel, he literally never suspects the person that it actually is that is the is Blue. But in the movie, he's like, yeah, maybe. And then walks in on Bram making out with a girl and apparently is like, oh, that's not possible um bye (laughs) and so that's like he's like oh my big blues clues notebook with my big oversized pencil cross blues that's out i know thank you i'm glad you saw what i did there (laughs) it's really great it was at this point that it starts to get complicated with the friends Mm -hmm. so nick who is in the core group of friends with simon says that he has feelings for abby who is the new girl the one that martin wants the one that martin who is blackmailing simon i'm already confused um once so simon then tries to derail the this potential relationship between nick and abby um by saying oh no abby has a boyfriend in college and uh, so this is kind of like the start of simon meddling manipulating yeah Yeah. meddling manipulating his friends in order for him not to be outed to the rest of the school before he wants to we then also hear leah who takes him home um after getting a little bit too inebriated don't drink underage kids it's not a good idea because you might confess your love to someone yeah 
And Leah does basically confess her love for Simon, but Simon thinks that she's confessing her love for Nick. Yeah, exactly. And so obviously Simon at that point is like, well, this is this is perfect because all I need to do is get... Leah already likes Simon. I just have to get Simon to spend some time with Leah and get that he actually totally loves her, wishful thinking child, because then Abby will be free to be obsessed with Martin. It'll be great. Um, and so he orchestrates a very awkward like, wow, Abby and Martin... What if we all met up and, um, you know, <laughs> practice lines for the musical, uh, mm-hmm. which to be fair, I think of all, if you're getting blackmailed and you're trying to get people together, that is a way that kind of preserves the autonomy, at mm. least of, of the person involved who's secretly being set up because you also did have to run lines. He's like, well, maybe if I just put them near each other, they'll yeah, it was, it was a really good see point, what happens. I think. Yeah, it's pretty good. We get introduced to this minor character that has like four lines, Mm -hmm. but uh, Simon thinks that he may be blue. This guy who works at the diner called Lyle. Bless Lyle. I think that Simon and Lyle have way more chemistry than Simon and Bram. I'm just putting that out there. Mm -hmm. And then actually that night, Simon comes out to Abby and uh, this is my first cry of the movie. (laughs) Excellent. Tick number one, first cry. Mm -hmm. Put it on the bingo card. Really beautiful. We then have kind of like a general high school nonsense. And there is, of course, a high school football game. In case you forgot, this is in America. This is in America. Sorry, an American football game. A gridiron football game. Simon crosses paths with Lyle, the guy who he saw at the Waffle House, and tries to kind of like figure out if he's blue. But Lyle is also interested in Abby. Basically, everybody is interested in Abby. Nobody's interested in Simon. Poor guy. She's so mysterious. She's such a newcomer. Yeah. Also, I love that Simon just keeps having these close shaves with these guys who potentially he would just... He was just trying to figure out if he was going to be like, hi, I'm gay. Are you blue? Uh, and they'd be like, no, I love Abby. So I really enjoy that he's he's thwarted at having to out himself at every turn by these mm-hmm. people being obsessed with his friend instead. I would really want to go around and just go like blue and see who turned around. Just just yell it. Just yell blue? the color blue. 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 Hello? Blue. Like I'm looking for a dog in the park. <laughs> so at this game, Martin, who's the little shit who's blackmailing Simon, ends up... Um, <laughs> interrupting the national anthem which i understand is a big deal in the united states Mm. he just hates america so much right and publicly declares his feelings for abby um saying will you go out with me and then releases four doves into the i actually i don't know i do kind of love the scene for the level of cringe what a promposal am i right americans abby then deals with it like an absolute champ quietly walks down the stalls and goes up to him and goes, I don't think of you like that. I think of you as... Like, I think... Reacts really, really, really well. Mm -hmm. Very maturely. But then Martin is obviously a little bit pissed off. Uh, Is pissed off that Simon hasn't made Abby fall in love with him. I think... So I think that, like, specifically... So although... Okay, because that is true that simon cannot make him do that but also it was because simon basically was like go big or go home you little bitch uh come on martin pull your dick out like let's go let's go and so martin's like i will pull my dick out and And these four doves and then um and then the doves flew away with his dick simon's inability to have somehow predicted that martin would go absolutely unhinged at the slightest provocation is clearly Simon's fault. Mm-hmm. This boy's a blackmailer, you know what I mean? Then on Christmas Eve, which is extra douchey, Martin, in his humiliation, decides to post on that godforsaken website that really needs to be shut down and outs Simon by sharing all of these screenshots of the conversations that he's had with Blue. And this I, is I, like, I cry again. It's wild to me because that's like... As established, we had Halloween and then we had the football Mm. game. Yeah. Which I'm assuming the football game wasn't on Christmas Eve Eve. So this boy is like, let it fester for a little bit before he's like, Mm. he's not doing it in the heat of the moment. Like he's Mm. given it a bit of thought. But he, yeah, he basically in the book, Martin posts, he doesn't post the screenshots. He posts, he does post outing Simon, but he basically like writes his own thing about like how he wants Oh, he specifically says that about how much Simon wants a, to give a blue job. Uh-huh. Great. Lovely play on words. But obviously it like 
Same level as your blues collusion. Connects it to Blue in some way so that Blue still understands that like Simon, someone knows about him and Simon. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so basically we have, I'm assuming you also came out uh, in the next scene where Simon comes out to his parents very awkwardly on Christmas morning. Yeah, over at, on Christmas morning, which I think is a great day mm-hmm. to have your coming out anniversary. He also, so his sister walks in because she's um, obviously on the on the school website as well mm-hmm. and tries to, uh, like, bless her, she's like eight and tries to kind of like, um, maybe not eight, like What's 12? What's she doing I on social accept- media? That's illegal, yeah, get her off there. Yeah, 100%. She tries to kind of like console Simon and Simon does not deal, deal with it very well. I cry again. This is cry number two. Wow. And then uh, he comes out to uh, parents a little bit later on Christmas Day. Cry number cry three? Number three. Yep. Yeah, got it. Tick, tick, tick. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And essentially, here we enter act number three, which I think we both agree is titled... Simon is a terrible person. Yes. Although the first thing that happens in act number, act numero three-o is... Painful. Basically, Simon's friends confront him mm-hmm. and immediately... Oh, he goes to pick... He, he doesn't talk to them all Christmas mm-hmm. and then goes to pick up pick them up as if normal. Just like, hey, sorry, we're giving you a lift to school. Let's go to <laughs> Starbies. And so basically they confront him Nick and Abby at this point have figured out that they are actually like each other and are a couple and that Simon mm-hmm. lied to Nick about Abby having a boyfriend and was trying to set Nick up with Leah, which he was confused about. And so they've now kind of gotten together, but also realized that Simon had been lying to them and that he also hadn't messaged them after he had been traumatically outed. And then like the whole thing just starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. But it also is really weird because it, like this whole scene is set up like, wow, Simon is a horrible person for being blackmailed. Yeah, what a douchebag. Right. Yeah, not very good friends. It's kind of like uh, like myopic friends. Like obviously yeah. they have a right to be pissed off. He has kind of like manipulated them in a pretty douchey way. But there's a reason behind it. Mm-hmm. Like there should be empathy and understanding behind it. And these friends in the movie don't seem to have that. No, and they're very, literally, Nick's like, what does that have to do with us? <laughs> when, <laughs> when Simon's like, I was blackmailed. And he's like, and? Why do, why should I care, Simon? Give me one reason. And so this is also where Leia confesses that she's, it was Simon that she was in love with the whole time. Because he's like, I don't know. I just thought like, if I got you two to spend some time together, you like him. And I think he, you're great. So he should like you. And like, you know, he didn't do something that awful stuff that could have happened if this was a different kind of movie if he was someone was mm-hmm. being blackmailed into making your making one of his friends like someone else there was no oh we should just play a drinking game and get really drunk like and there's no like oh let's do seven minutes in heaven with this person like there was nothing like that it literally was like let's go on a three-way date to a waffle house and run lines mm-hmm. and so this whole the bit of the storyline essentially gets concluded with Simon having to apologize to his friends and his friends just not having to apologize to him and being like, I'm so sorry, guys, please forgive me. I really want to figure out who Blue is so we can meet up at the school carnival and I can out him. And they're like, we forgive you, Simon, because you were awful. So we'll help you with this plan, which seems like it has no flaws. It's around this time, just before they end up going to the carnival, it's the first day back at school and a couple of students end up dressing up as Mm. Simon and Ethan. Although I will say the guy who dresses up as, the other student who dresses up as Simon just wears a hoodie and you can't really tell that he's dressing up as Simon. That's a pretty good Simon Simon cosplay, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, um, my Halloween costume, maybe. And they get shouted at by the theatre teacher, which I really, really enjoy. And then we have that weird scene with Ethan and Simon outside the Mm -hmm. principal's office. Did you want to like add anything to what we were saying earlier? It's frustrating because what Simon is apologizing for is not really what he should be apologizing for. So he says, he kind of goes, oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't wasn't as bad as this when it was just you who were out. Mm. And like, which is so out of touch. And like, Ethan's just like, what are you talking about, you idiot? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not it at all. Whereas what he should be apologizing for is like all of the stuff that we said earlier about the ways in which he's projected his own discomfort and internalized, internalized homophobia onto someone else. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. all of these kind of things. And that to me would have made this a way more interesting movie. It would have been doing something 
more than we'd not not more than but diff, something different something a little mm. bit more complex than the sort of coming out narratives that we'd seen before and so that to me felt like a missed opportunity well ethan is just in the in this movie and i think in the books if i remember the book correctly ethan is just kind of like a bit of a, a doesn't have a huge amount of character development as a mm-hmm. character um and so it would have been it would have just been a different story if yeah. they had ended up doing i that. think so as well i do think it would have been warranted and i think it would have been a nice arc to see in a gay character especially a gay teen character being written about in the mid 2010s i think that that's where i mean i've not been to school for a while but i think that's like that's where kind of like kids are more likely to be these days anyway maybe that's why uh, maybe i'm showing my biases here but it felt like my experience in the early 2000s, in the early and mid 2000s, kind of like going through that, like a lot of that resonated with me, the way that I saw the people who were in my year and came out earlier were more effeminate. I blamed and I took great pride in being different, not that kind of gay. Mm. Uh, I was very much a pick me gay. How the tables have tabled. How Jazza. the tables have tabled. There's also the, the, the scene. scene yeah, where he comes out. Um, uh, I cry again. Yeah, that was that was the scene that really got you the most last time. I'm pretty oh sure. Oh my God, but... it, absolutely, it absolutely destroyed me. But I think but that is also kind of like the iconic scene everyone talks about. That also wasn't in the book. That mm-hmm. was very uh, kind of completely fabricated for the uh, for the movie. And I think that it was like, for me, that scene was like very specifically perfectly written as the like and now we will do the coming out scene here's the coming out here's scene the yeah. coming out scene and i do think that there is like you know i like to trash this movie but i understand that there are people who obviously need to see that scene and found a lot of comfort in it and a lot of emotion in it and all that kind of stuff me it's just very funny because his dad is like his mom is doing the classic like incredible parent oh, does the beautiful speech into doing everything words. into it yeah putting her entire 13 going on 30 or see into that performance yeah and then the dad's like <laughs> you're right son <laughs> yeah the dad sta- starts you, crying kiddo. And then the dad starts crying and then says i think we should sign up to grinder together yeah and Simon goes i don't think that you know I don't what think that's is. how it should work <laughs> which was a, i think is the best line in the in the so whole supportive film. dad but yeah so we essentially we have this big arc of like okay so i got outed everything was shit my friends don't want to hang out with me i'm being publicly humiliated my parents are weeping over me constantly Mm. and then i'm like well i guess how i should fix this is just apologizing to my friends for being blackmailed he apologizes to them he writes on the website saying yeah i'm gay it's correct and simon and the movie then go on to say hey coming out is just like being scared if someone won't like you and i'm like I mean, and that, some more. And some other stuff. <laughs> and, you know, like systemic repression over centuries? No. And, no. And fear, fear to your like physical and That's mental well-being? a well bit of blackmail amongst friends. Yeah. It, it's a weird line that it, I, I feel like the movie tries to make this experience a universal one, something that everybody can connect with. And you can connect with somebody going through the the trauma of coming out and the trauma of kind of like being closeted. But you don't need to do it by saying you the first line, the opening line of the movie, it. where it says, I'm, I'm just, just like, like you. you. Simon isn't just like you. Simon is That's a kid a who has, if you are a cishet person, you do not understand what that is like. And that I think is the, that's the biggest problem I have with the movie. Plus the public outing, plus the blackmail, plus all of that kind of stuff. It's fine. When the tears happen, they just wipe away Jazz's brain cells that were working <laughs> yeah. on critiquing the movie. He's like, oh, it got yeah. washed away all of a sudden. And yeah, then he gets annoyed exactly. and he's like, oh wait, they got washed away again. But yeah, mm-hmm. essentially... What happens is what I said at the beginning in terms of this Ferris wheel, uh, Simon does this kind of like weird ultimatum post thing where he's like, hey, if you actually like me and want to like, you know, show yourself, you have your chance. It's in this very public place on this Ferris wheel where you'll have to sit beside me and you won't be able to escape for at least one rotation of this ride. And so because he posted it publicly just a massive crowd of teenagers arrive to be Mm -hmm. like, go Simon. Um, Ironically enough, he, he just keeps going around on this Ferris wheel. He runs out of tickets and who should come and buy him one more ride? It's Martin. And for a minute, I'm sure a lot of us were like, 
oh no, it's not Martin, is it? <laughs> Martin, well, no. he says it. He says, it's me. And he was like, I'm sorry, this is just so terrible. And everybody in the crowd is saying, this is so awkward. This, this is, is, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah. But then just before... It all goes to shit. Simon's on his own again. Before we bring in Bram, I think this is meant to be a redemption for Martin. Yeah. And I don't think that there should be any fucking redemption for that little shitbag. What do you mean? A, a $1 ticket is buys you redemption. Like, saying sorry is not it. Like, Simon, Simon, the character, actually says it really, really well in the movie, where it's like, you took away coming out from me. Mm. That should be something that I should be able to do. And what Martin did is pure evil. And should know better, like we said, because he has a gay brother. I like. I kind of hate that the movie tries to give him some kind of redemption. Um, but he buys the ticket, four dollars. He buys the ticket, the way, and then we $4. imagine that he wanders off and is immediately hit by a roller coaster carriage and gets his comeuppance. It's just we don't see it. It's, it's a deleted scene. Don't worry about it. We're focusing <laughs> on off Bram and, uh, and Simon at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Bram basically reveals himself as blue. And then apparently, like, the kiss with the girl was a mistake. It was like, oh, you came at literally the Tell exact wrong it. moment. Like, oh, how what a funny miscommunication. And then they ride the Ferris wheel and they kiss and then the crowd of teenagers claps for them. And then basically it's the classic epilogue thing. Like, Simon's like, my life just is normal now, except I'm in a relationship with Bram. And we're all picking up our friends for school, mm-hmm. but my boyfriend's here too. And then they probably go and get Starbucks again. The end. <laughs> the end. In the book, there's no crowd and there's no public ultimatum, no. so it's different and better. It's very different. <laughs> just, to, just to clarify everybody, we have a little bit of time to do it before we go into ratings and stuff. Are you aware of the cultural phenomenon that is Love, Victor? So I am aware of Love, Victor, but I haven't watched it yet. Because I think basically I wanted to do the thing where I wait until a show is finished to find out, Mm -hmm. is this worth watching? Does it actually have an ending or was it just cancelled with a big cliffhanger? Is it the kind of show that people will say, watch season one, don't bother afterwards, it didn't go that well? Because it seems like the kind of show where I need to figure out what's going on with it before I commit. I can tell you now, because I spent all afternoon (laughs) binging quite a lot of it. Oh my God, did you Um, cry? Uh, no, not at all, actually. Oh, okay. I, I think it um it's basically set the year after with a new kid who comes to the same is it high school called Victor. Yeah. Genius. Um, and Victor is basically all through the first season, doesn't do it in later seasons, but all through the first season is messaging Simon being like, oh, I heard this thing that you did. And actually at the beginning of the series, like is like, you had a perfect life and a perfect boyfriend and perfect everything. And I actually like, it's actually not everybody has it that easy. And there's a load of intersectional representation Ooh. happening there with class. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Victor is from a Latino background. Well, this was a bit, one of the big criticisms of the movie was not just that they, that the, the movie got made. Like, no, mm. it wasn't that the movie got made. It was that the way it was marketed was kind of using the classic like oh this is a story for everyone it's the every man coming out story it's mm-hmm. like the story we've all been waiting for and it was this like white cis very upper middle class boy with supportive parents kind of like oh and this is the coming out story mm-hmm. and so i think that i'm really i'd be so interested to hear where this came from in terms of like how directly it was a response to the criticism that this movie had against it. It feels like a direct response that they do at the beginning of it. And then in later seasons, there's a queer Muslim character. Mm. There's a lot more bi and pan representation You have been busy, well. Jazza John. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll tell you what I did. I watched four episodes of the first series. Then uh, made skipped. sure I watched the clip that went viral where they froth milk. Um, they basically make pulling an, an espresso sexy, which Classic. is very good. Very, barista's very gay profession, clearly. And then I fast forwarded to the first episode of the final season, which is a recap of the last oh, two very seasons. Helpful, very, and very And I was helpful. like, oh, thank God. I never, I don't have to watch the rest of it. I think it's fine. Okay. I don't think it's great, but I really appreciate the changes that it made to be able to kind of like show some more representation and and seemed to do it very well. It wasn't just kind of like crowbarred in mm. as some things do. Very quickly, there was a tiny bit of controversy with this because they originally were not going to allow 
love victor to be on disney plus mm. when they were when disney plus was only doing kids stuff there was like a whole thing about whether or not love love victor would be allowed to be in a, a disney space that was like oh well for well, teenagers porn, and for kids though, there's there's is there, on do they fill on through, yeah 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 fuck. <laughs> no obviously not so yeah this is so that is absolutely fascinating i i wonder i do wonder if layer on the offbeat is going to get an adaptation or not because that specifically i guess was more focused around the identity that our good friend rebecca albertalli um friend of the show uh rebecca <laughs> had uh kind of her experiences as a bi woman mm-hmm. although obviously just because you're a bi woman and you wrote a bi female character does not it mean that you shit. have anything to do with your life yeah. or anything like that. I've not read it. It could be shit. I'm sure it's great, but it could be shit. Could be terrible. What, well, yeah. one of the real dangers with this as well is I think that because there isn't like a monolithic experience, right, of like being a bi woman, there, is, there are like as many ways to be a bi woman as there are bi women. If you are doing a piece which has been labeled own voices, I think in some cases for, for some readers, there's almost like an extra pressure to like get it right. right it's yeah, almost yeah, like yeah. this promise that they want to be delivered on of like, oh, this is the authenticity I want. And oftentimes it will be people who want the authenticity that basically just means it reflects my life as a reader who has this identity rather than the experiences of the author who also has that identity, but might have different experiences, right? Mm. And I think that the only way, I mean, we'll say it once, we'll say it again. The only way we can really like combat this is just more make more shit just make yeah. more stuff so you can have a bunch of by rep and uh someone will someone will be represented by some of it and not others and that's fine i think our conclusions on this are brilliant good job go let's go into our ratings okay let's do it We standardise the ratings that we have for each of the movies that we review by taking the six bars of the pride flag, red, orange, yellow, green, blue and purple, and awarding each of those to the movie. The more they get and what is represented by each of those bars is open to interpretation and and what that means. Um, But you know what? Who cares? Rowan, how many bars and which ones are you going to give to Love, Simon? Our rating system works, damn it. It's so standardised. I'm going to give it two, I guess. That's more generous than I thought you were going to... You know, well, the thing is, I was like, yeah, two. And then I was like, oh, I can't actually, th-. you know, what? I'm just going to do one because I can only find one that I think fits. And it's Spirit just because of it tried. Spirit Week <laughs> being like the American high school thing where they all uh-huh. get spirited, I guess, um, before the big game or something. I have no idea what you're talking about. Do you know that in America, like Spirit Week at high schools? No. I think actually it was in the book. I don't think it was in the the movie, but yeah, it's like a thing where they just love their school so much um, or something. So that's what I'm going with. It really, it it tried, but I can't forgive it for its entire act three. So you're giving it purple, one bar purple, which is spirit. How much are your tears worth, Jazza? I'm giving it more than you. Surprise, surprise. Said no one. (laughs) I'm going to give it Spirit 2, not because of Spirit Week, but because it had... Um... Of the ghost of Martin after <laughs> he came, he, he emerged from the tracks of that roller coaster. God, a horrible <laughs> death for Martin. I can't believe... I mean, I, I, I understood why they cut it because it did make it an 18-rated film. Um... <laughs> it's just absolute bullshit being touted by Ellis. Um, I'm going to give it Spirit. I'm going to give it Healing because it healed me. Mm. You know, and then... Is that what they're calling it these days, choking on your own sobs? <laughs> yes, exactly. So literally, literally couldn't function as a human for a good 45 minutes of watching that movie the first time. And I'm also going to give it sunlight for finally providing the spotlight on gay representation and this being the first gay movie ever. I wanted to give it three and I stretch for the third. No no lies, no lies told today. So yellow, so that's, sunlight is yellow. So yellow, orange for healing, purple for spirit. Beautiful. There you go.
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed these episodes, we need your help to keep the podcast going. This podcast, albeit fantastic, successful, beautiful, sexy, uh, still loses money. So if you like what we are doing and are able to support us, please join our Patreon, literally so that we can keep the wheels on this thing. Basically, so we don't have to lock Julia in a room and force her to edit for no money, which is not something any of us want. great (laughs) for anybody who joins before the end of august we're providing individual movie recommendations and also as a member of the patreon you get access to our queer movie club uh where you have access to the discord where there's like 400 really wonderful individuals there we chat about movies but also like tv series games etc and then we do a queer movie watch along once a month where we all watch a movie together we're watching dear x this week it was a close one we were potentially watching everything everywhere all at once it was a close vote uh, on the discord Mm -hmm. very exciting that's literally happening right after we record this um so yes make sure if you enjoyed this to follow and subscribe to the podcast so you're notified of our next episode which they come out every two weeks always we're always churning out that good good content (laughs) that good gay content for you good gay content that good gay content thank you very much my darlings we'll see you next time bye bye toodaloo thank you so much for listening you can follow us on twitter to keep up to date with everything podcast related if you feel entertained please do think about supporting us over on patreon our patrons really do allow us to put in the hours of research and recording that goes into these episodes so sincerely thank you One of our perks on Patreon is a queer movie watch along every last Saturday of the month exclusively for our patrons hosted on our Discord. Gay fun really is had by all, so come join us. The Queer Movie Podcast is edited by Julia Shafini. We're also part of Multitude Productions, so make sure you check out all of their other awesome podcasts full of both fun and frivolity. Make sure you follow and subscribe to this here podcast so that you are primed for our next episode. Thank you very much my darlings. You will hear us very soon. Toodaloo. Uh, Bye.